Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. Welcome to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. Here are Dan Rusinowski and Drew Remenda. Can you believe it? It's the month of June and the Stanley <laughs> Cup playoffs are raging. Western Conference Final on Thursday night and the Colorado Avalanche without their starting goaltender. Yet they come up with a shutout performance and they win by the score four to nothing. So the Colorado Avalanche now have a two games to nothing lead in that best of seven series. Meanwhile, the Rangers got off to a great start with a six to two win against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Drew Amendo, we have a very exciting set of series going on right now. We sure do. I did not expect uh, that from the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. You think that was a little bit of rust, Danny, being off for eight days? I think so. I think, yeah. it, I, I think you could tell that by the way that they were tracking in the game. I agree with you. I agree. That's, and that's their, that's their strong suit when they track back and they shrink the ice and they take away your neutral zone. They, the Rangers, though, you got to hand it. Um, the, the kid line, as they call it, with uh, Filipino and somebody we talked about last, uh, last uh, time we talked, Alexis Lafreniere, uh, Capo Caco, they have been really good. Zabinajad and Kreider are elite. Panarin's starting to get hot, and Shesterkin, Shesterkin. I expect, though, a huge bounce back from uh, Andre Vasilevsky because that's kind of what he does. But the big talk up here, up north, the Great White North, Oh, it's worth thank goodness we're green right now. Is uh, the way that uh, the Colorado Avalanche have trounced the Edmonton Oilers and the play of the Oilers in Denver? It's really amazing, and of course, I think that you know the big, big uh, marquee matchup there is between Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers and Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. And there's just so much attention on McDavid across Canada, actually, but yeah. even in the United States, Nathan McKinnon kind of gets hidden in the Mile High City. And this is one of these situations where I see a very personally motivated guy. What do you think? I, I agree with you 100%. Nathan McKinnon is out there to prove, oh, yeah, there's another Mac on the scene, and it's McKinnon, not just McDavid. He has been the better player in the first two games. Connor McDavid said last night after the Oilers lost 4 nothing, he said that uh, I haven't been very good to hear, which he means in Denver. Nathan McKinnon is driving his team. And the interesting thing, I don't know if we mentioned this last time we talked, but the interesting thing with, with this series is that the last two series for Edmonton, they've been the better, more skilled team. They've got more elite players. But now McDavid goes up against McKinnon. Dreisaitl goes up against Landeskog. Kane goes up against Kadri. Um, Rantanen goes up against Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And nobody goes up against Kale McCarr because there isn't anybody to match Kale McCarr. On to highlights from that Colorado game two against the Edmonton Oilers. You mentioned Kale McCarr is something that the Oilers don't exactly match. They try their best with players like Evan Bouchard and, and Tyson Berry, but this guy is just an elite player. And so 
Uh, Colorado has that going for them. But what they didn't have going for them was the injury to Darcy Kemper. Upper body injury, we're assuming it's concussion related because of the what's happened to him over the course of the last year. But Pablo Francois is a pretty darn good goaltender. Nobody expected that he would do much. And in one play, the combination of the Makar factor and the Francois factor came into play. McKinnon has it stolen away. McDavid down low, tries to slide it underneath. Francosa safe. Rebound is loose. Francosa again the stop with Evander Kane right up front. And now Kane throws and punches at Kale McCarr. And everybody's involved early on. Early test for McCarr, he passed. Early test for Pavel Francos, he passed with flying colors. That's Connor McGahey on Avalanche Radio. And, of course, Evander Kane taking a swing at Kale McCarr. A lot of little gamesmanship happens in the playoffs all the time. But I think that's a reference to what you said. The Oilers don't really have an answer for him. No, and the Oilers made the big mistake of trying to be really physical, but they were really very undisciplined. They had seven minors, even though Colorado only scored on one power play out of the seven. They, you're still shorthanded and chasing the puck and defending against the Avalanche, that does not allow your top lines to get out there on a more regular basis. So they got to be more disciplined when they go into game three. More Pavel Francois during the course of this game. It was a big reason why the Avalanche gained confidence. Bouchard will try it the other way. Byram stepped into McDavid. Byram stays with him. Puck is still there. Byram was hit down to the ice. Well, he was not looking by Dreisaitl towards the cage. Fought off by Francois. He got a stick in the way to send it up and out. Francois knew that that rebound was still in the danger zone, and he had the active stick to get in there and poke it wide. Dreisaitl keeps it alive. Over for Keith towards the net. Right on target. Safe made by Francois with 8.7 seconds to go in the first period. Frankie is feeling it right now. Well, he's been feeling it, and he kept feeling it, too, in the second period. For Hyman, now Bouchard, high in the zone, has some space, fakes the slap shot, goes around McKinnon, Bouchard, moved towards the net, save made by Prentzos! And there's no rebound to be found. Frankie says, relax. <laughs> relax, everybody. Connor McGahey having a little fun with the I'll goaltender him, there. I'll give him credit for that one. That's a good call. Way to go, yeah, Connor. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. And, and you know what? It's it's the kind of attitude that Colorado has had through the course of the whole season. He reminded me a little bit of when we talk about Reimer, you know, all the times he gave his team chances to win. I thought Francois was Reimer-like, and I mean that as a big compliment, is, is the way that he was calm, cool, collected, made the big save when he had to, didn't give anything up. They hung in there, and then all of a sudden, the explosion for the Avalanche in the second period. Nazim Kadri had an amazing couple of minutes. He ended up with three points in a little over two minutes of work. He thought he had a goal on the first one, but it ended up being a tip by Arturi Lekkonen. Nugent Hopkins in his own zone. Nurse, a miscommunication. Wrist shot, score. Off the turnover. Colorado breaks through first. 1-0 for the Avs. You hear Jack Michaels talking about miscommunication. Yeah. You just can't do that against a team like Colorado because they make you pay right away. Yeah, Darnell Nurse gave the puck away. He's injured right now. Maybe we get a chance to talk about that a little bit later, but he's struggling on the ice. And so, one nothing in favor of the Avalanche at that point. Kadri gets on the board, and he does it again just a few seconds later. Number 91, Nazem Kadri! Here's a chance for Manson! He scores! Man, oh, and just like that, it's 2 nothing Avalanche. And you can hear the, the way that that works. When yeah. goals happen really quickly, they, they pumped up the PA announcer to announce who got the goal, and they were incorrectly saying it was Kadri at the time. And then all of a sudden, bam, 
the Avalanche score again. And uh, Josh Manson, who misplayed it a two-on-one earlier in the series, came up big on that one. That was a great shot, too. Like a really smart shot. Low slapper, just in a perfect spot. Did you notice, too, like he skated by the bench of the Oilers. Now, remember, Josh Manson's dad, Dave, is assistant coach with the Oilers. Right. He skated by the bench of the Oilers, and he turned and he said something to the bench. And then they, they went close up on dad. Um, I, I would love to know what was said in that situation because something was. Yeah, I think so. And you know how intense Dave Manson is. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'd imagine that, uh, that his eyes were spinning in opposite <laughs> directions at that point and probably telling his guys to jump over and don't <laughs> dance. Exactly. <laughs> and after that, then Miko Ranton, and it was drafted one step uh, after Timo Meyer was in 2015, came up with another one for Colorado. And the Oilers spring the attack the other way. McDavid, two on two, leaves it for Hyman. That's broken up by Landeskog, who tracks back. Francois plays it to the corner. Picked up by Kadri, and the Avalanche are flying. Two on one, here they come Kadri. Over for Ranton, and he scores! The Moose is loose! Kadri has three points in the period. Three points in the first six minutes and two seconds, all assists for Nazim Kadri, who has been a real drink stirrer for this team. And you talk about McKinnon, you talk about Ranton, and you talk about Landeskog, but you better not stop talking about Kadri. Okay. Why didn't the Colorado Avalanche advance last year farther than they did? Everybody said it was because they didn't have that secondary scoring. Shut down the big line. Why didn't they have the secondary scoring? Because Nazim Kadri was suspended again in the playoffs. This playoffs, he's been smart. He's been physical, he's been tough, he's been that guy, but he's been smart, and his skill level is exceptional. So he has made a huge difference, as we know, in the, in the previous round and in this round. And then in the third period, of course, Nathan McKinnon thought that he would check in. Dale McCarr, <laughs> back from Miko Ranton and shot from McCarr. Rebound is loose, Smith the save, still bouncing around, and somehow it doesn't go in. Smith has lost his catching glove. Smith's catching glove is off. Kill McCarr keeps it in at the deep slot. Shot from McKinnon. He scores! The Mac attack is back, Jack! The Avalanche finally cashed in on the power play. Mike Smith down a piece of paraphernalia. And the Avs make the Oilers pay. It's a power play goal with 4.40 to go in the third period. Colorado 4 and the Oilers... Nothing. Of course, when you're down three nothing, you start to stretch, you start to push, you start to take penalties. And Colorado, with McKinnon on the ice, definitely made them pay with that power play goal. But I was struck by another thing: Mike Smith losing his glove on that yeah. one. You know, when when a goalie loses his mask, they blow the whistle right away. So right. I guess uh, you know you understand you don't want the goaltender to get hit in the face or the head like Johnny Bauer used to. But yeah. having a broken hand is okay if the puck hits him in the in the glove hand. It was interesting because he was complaining about it, and then. I don't know which defenseman shot the, the glove back to him. And he went to get it back on, got it back on, and then bang, the puck goes by him after the, he, he didn't get the glove all the way on. And, and, um, and then well, that, he, was that going to get discussed? Maybe something like this I don't, over I don't the know. summer? Probably I don't, not. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I don't think so. I don't, I'm not sure. I, but it was an interesting case. And it, we've seen a lot of interesting things that I've never seen before in the playoffs. Or, but on that one, they were complaining. The referees, did, just they turned to... A, a deaf ear to it. They weren't listening to it. I don't think it, I think you're right. If, if it's one of those pieces of equipment, then, then it's, it's it all's fair. 
you know, we're going. That's the way it is. Because what, what prevents a goalie from, from shaking a glove off in order to get the whistle when the pressure's on? Well, that's true. And, of course, a goaltender shaking his head so his mask falls off is another thing that we've, we've seen, seen that. a little bit. And you wonder at some point if they could call a guy for delay of game if he does that. Yeah, they certainly could. They're not going <laughs> to. They right. certainly could. <laughs> well, they certainly could. But uh, bottom line is that the Edmonton Oilers are in a bit of a world of hurt as the series shifts back to Alberta for game number three. If you're Jay Woodcroft, how do you handle this? Well, Jay's been really good, very patient, very measured in what, he's, what he talks about. I think they've got to make a change. I think you've got to go to Darnell Nurse and go Darnell. Remember when Daryl Sutter used to tell us about hurt versus injured? Yep. If you're hurt, you can play. If you're injured and you try to play, you're probably going to hurt the club. So we're going to shelf you. I think they've probably got to go to Darnell and make a sh- and, and shelf him, or at least go 11 and 7. 11 what's, forward, what, 7. What's, what's wrong with him? I, I don't know. No, you know, it's playoffs. We don't know. But he's been hurting for since the start. Well, since the, the, the series against the Kings. And he's Darnell is not the type of kid to back off. He, he keeps trying to push forward. He's, he doesn't have the, the, the closing speed or the closing quickness that he had earlier. Um, I think he's, I think he's rattled by it. You can see his confidence is a little is waning because it's, he's been affected on how quick the avalanche are. And he, he is, he's standing out as a, as a spot of what well, you can just attack him and the, and the avalanche are. The other thing is, I think Jay's got a, got a goalie decision to make. Mike Smith wasn't wasn't bad yesterday, but he hasn't given him a save yet. And he needs to, he needs, Jay needs somebody that can give him a save. I think that's a desperation move, but I'd be thinking about it in my head. And I know that Jay's probably talking to his coaching staff about it. I think they'll go back to Smith. I I think that's the one thing they'll do. But overall, one, got to be disciplined. Two, they have got to be able to match the off the speed, off the puck pressure that the avalanche are doing to them. They're not being, they're not able to break up the cycle in the zone. They're not able to break up the offensive zone time. They're not able to break up the entries into the zone. I think it was, I read the stat Colorado had a 77% um, success rate entering the zone last night. So that means you're not tracking back. It means you're you're backing up. You can't allow that against Colorado. No, they're they're so dangerous when they, when they're flying, when those motors are running. Now, if you go to that, uh, that seven D 11 forward configuration, I'd suspect It'd be Chris Russell that gets in, not yeah. Philip Broberg. Broberg yeah. probably no. Yeah, because 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 Russell is. Listen, Chris Russell's a gamer, man. I I've I've grew to a lot of respect for Chris Russell. Those years I was broadcasting at Edmonton, the guy's as tough as nails. He gets in front of shots. He's hard to play against. But yeah, I would think a hundred percent Chris Russell right now is better than a seventy percent Darnell Nurse. But by the way, a little known fact: his brother is a scout for the San Jose Sharks. I did not know that. Yes, he is. Wow. Well, that's that's a tough family right there. Those are cowboys, man. That's cowboy tough. Yep, they sure are. Now, so which forward do you sit? Because you have from seven defensemen, right? Yeah. yeah. So that means you got to sit a forward. You're going to sit Archibald. Um, he has no. I like Archibald. They He's played sit, okay. Yeah. I'm, they might sit Zach. Well, yeah, yeah and he just he just got fined a few bucks just yeah. to, for for some actions that he yeah. did. You can't grab guys when they're on the bench. Yeah, no. you can't do that. You might sit Zach. He's not playing a heck of a lot, and they and that and he's not been able to to get the that juice he had, you know, in the forecheck and get going and just like he did against Calgary and the Kings. He's he's been um, the speed. I think is affecting him. Even though Zach's a, a good skater, I think the speed of the game is affecting him. So he might sit him. 
So that'd be an interesting configuration. We'll check and see what happens for game number three when they get onto the ice on Saturday in Edmonton, which, by the way, uh, in that building, it's going to be pretty loud. It's oh. going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. They're, they're going to try to push their team to uh, get close in this series. They go down 3 nothing to the Avs. It's just a matter of time after that. Well, that brings us up to date with the Edmonton-Colorado series. And now we move on to the Rangers and their opponents, the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. I think the story in game number one was not necessarily the play of the kid line, although that was great. A couple of goals for Philip Heedle and the Rangers win by the score of 6-2. to two. But I think the bigger story had to be the goaltending of Igor Shesterkin in his very first conference final, getting on with players like Steven Stamkos, for instance. Center to Sorelli. He turns, fires in front, deflected. Shot by oh. Stamkos, blocked. Rebound oh, saved wow. by Shesterkin. Another shot by Chernak, deflected wide. Then he made another big stop on a pretty good country hockey player named Kucherov. Fires a long pass, intercepted by Paul. Center to Kucherov, right side forward to Kucherov. Big save by Shesterkin. It kept on for Shesterkin, and again it was Kucherov with the score 4-2 New York. Goal line set around the boards by Colton. Centered in front, save Shesterkin as he stopped Kucherov. Six goals for the Rangers, but the goaltending of Shesterkin front and center, and it all came down to the final moments of the game. Rangers control, Lindgren sends it down the ice. The final seconds tick off. The crowd cheers the Rangers. The Rangers win game one. Six to two and lead the Eastern Conference final one game to none. Think about this. The Rangers were outshot by Tampa Bay 39-34. But as you mentioned, Drew, and as I alluded to, uh, the tracking back by, by the Lightning seemed to be a little bit sloppy. And that might have been the rust. But game number two is a huge one. And this is the beauty of this. Tampa Bay, since they were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, are 17-0 and 0 after losing a game in the playoffs, which is an absolutely incredible statistic. Can they do it again in that atmosphere at the Garden? I don't see why not. Um, Andre Vasilevsky, their great Russian goaltender, he bounces back as well. He is one of those guys that in, in the, the game after a loss or the elimination game, he is the best player on the ice. Sturkin was. Those, those saves off of Kucherov both times. He had Kucherov looking up in the, into the sky going, you got to be kidding me, man, because he had him dead to rice both times. The play of the Lightning after eight days off, as you said, was lacking. I thought they just – when you get scored on right away, first shot, like, oh, come on, man, we got we to get into this. Then you score in the first shot and you're back. They score, you score, and you think you got it, and maybe you're under a track meet. Um, but then you couldn't get out of the blocks after that. So I think you're right. The rust is grew a little bit on the avalanche or I mean on the lightning. I do believe they'll come back here. They're just so smart and they're so controlled and able to regroup all the time. They reset so well. And John Cooper is obviously brilliant. They have great coaching staff there, but those players have been there, done that. There's no panic in their game whatsoever no matter what happened the game before they reset refocus and they're ready to go meanwhile for the rangers i think that one thing that has to be credited is the way that this team has been built and that's where management always comes in they had a plan and they stuck to it they did change general managers but chris drury has been around he's done a really good job in filling in this roster and i just want to point out a couple of players jacob truba oh. andrew andrew cop barkley goodrow who's back and playing 
Also on this team, Justin Braun, Ryan Reeves, and not the least of which is Frank Vetrana, who after that great game against the Sharks got acquired at the deadline by the Rangers. These are all people that have been added to the roster and they fit in beautifully. Exactly. This, I was talking to Dave Maloney the other day, um, former captain of the Rangers and, and now a broadcaster with the Madison Square Garden and, and the Rangers games. And they admit they're ahead of the curve here. They're ahead of where they thought they'd be. They were growing. They were rebuilding this team, doing a great, great work. And then they had that whole thing last year with Wilson and then it got ugly. And then Chris Drury came in. Well, Chris Drury was there as an assistant general manager. Right. He got the reins. Great additions, as you said. I would think a rebuild goes a lot quicker when you can go from Henrik Lundqvist to Igor Shosturkin. No doubt. And that helps. Chris Kreider is a guy who took a huge step this year. He was always a terrific player. I was a really good player. I was a guy who could get up and down the ice and score 20 goals for you. But this year, I'm just, he was, he was superstar this year. The kid line that we talked about, but those guys, as we know, watching the Tampa Bay Lightning, watching Colorado, and even what Edmonton did with Ken Holland adding to the guys that he added in those third and fourth lines and, and, and getting Hyman, getting Kane and Archibald. And you, you look at this team, the Rangers, and those guys you mentioned, those middle guys, those core guys, as Dean Lombardi used to say, the glue guys, you need those guys to help keep your team together and going in the right direction. And they have all fit in beautifully. And I, Hey man, I, I know you love them too. And, uh, Justin Braun, I'm just so happy for him. He's Me too. such a terrific young man and a terrific player. I'm glad he's having some success. I, I really am too. What, what a classy player, a guy yeah. that, that gives you everything he's got. He plays an intelligent kind of a game, exactly what the Rangers need. And that combines with, you know, some other guys that I think it have been warriors for them. Ryan Lindgren, what a job he's oh, doing. And he's and been then, hurt a lot in this yeah. playoffs. And, and then Truba comes up and nails people. He's, he's <sighs> kind of like a, an X factor. Is he good or what? And he's so big, but he covers so much space. But you're right. He, if, if you're going into the Rangers zone, you are looking for Truba. He's one of those guys that makes you turn your head a little earlier, make the play on the puck a little too quick. Um, you know, I don't want to say bail out, but try to avoid contact and maybe give up the puck. He is a vicious, tough hockey, hockey player to play against. And with all of these guys providing space for their teammates, that allows people like Panarin and, and Zibanejad to yeah. do their great work and what a job they've done. Yeah, they really have. Um, Panarin's goal um, last game was, <laughs> was a nice two-on-one. And he oh, he can, it, he can snipe. Can he snipe it or what? And, and Zibanejad has been fantastic. He's on, uh, he's on a, a heater right now going about five or six games. That He is one guy you have got to make sure you know where he is on the ice. Time now to talk about a couple of NHL awards. First things first, Anje Kopitar of the Los Angeles Kings has been presented with the Mark Messier Leadership Award. This is not one of the, the most publicized awards in the NHL trophy case, but I think that it is uh, awfully deserved. Kopitar leading his team back to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, he's just done absolutely everything in his career, and I'm glad to see him get the recognition. You know, I know we're not supposed to like guys from the Los Angeles Kings, Hard not to like this guy. Oh, my God. He is such a – he's one of my favorite players to watch, one of my favorite players to talk to. That smile, that exuberance, that enthusiasm he has to be on the ice every day. You know that he takes being in the NHL a privilege. 
He's worked very hard um, in Los Angeles to be the face of the franchise. So important when they were winning the Stanley Cups. But he's a guy that leads on and off the ice. Um, Great choice. Great choice for the Messier Award. Meanwhile, the National Hockey League also announced the voting for the NHL Broadcasters Association. The NHL Broadcasters vote for the Coach of the Year. And they decided that the 1990-91 winner, Brian Sutter, should present that award this year. The Jack Adams Award is presented annually to the NHL Coach of the Year. This award is really special and unique in the sense that it it represents the high standards and class and dignity and, uh, and respect that the organization has achieved in the past year. And uh, it also represents everybody else in the organization, the coaches and, and, and the trainers and, and everybody else and the people that have helped the coaches along the way. But in saying this, the Jack Adams Award winner for the 2021-22 season is presented to a good friend and brother, Daryl <laughs> Sutter. Congratulations, Daryl. You should be honored, partner, and your organization had one heck of a year. Thanks, Brian. I am honored to be informed by you of this award. Brian won the award in in 1991, Um, so that's a long time ago, and and I think back when he won it and the great job that he did, especially being a young NHL head coach and the pressures that we faced. So um, I'm honored to be told by Brian, and I accept this the Jack Adams Award on behalf of my family, uh, my wife Wanda and son Christopher. When you are Coach of the Year, it's a team award. So many people help coaches do their job. And coaches will tell you that. Daryl will tell you that. Your family, the assistant coaches, the trainers, the equipment managers, and then, of course, the players. But good for Daryl. I mean, there was big, big, big talk up here when Daryl got the job as head coach of the Calgary Flames. Oh my goodness. You're going to recycle a, a Sutter. Oh, he, he's a dinosaur. He doesn't coach. He's hard nosed. He's old school. He's, we got to need younger guys, but you and I have been privy to be around Daryl. Sharks fans have been, been fortunate to have Daryl in our organization as a head coach. Yeah. He's got those gruff ways. He is by far a guy whose bark is way worse than his bite. He's a guy that once you understand what he wants from you and how you have to deliver for him. He will have your back forever. And you look at the, 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 the performances this year of his team, the individual career years, Johnny Goodrow was getting traded, man. They wanted that guy out of there because he was an out, he was a perimeter player. He was, yeah, he was highly skilled, but he wasn't, he wasn't inside we, this guy's going to be able to get it done for us. Milan Lucic, he's finished. He's done. Monahan's, oh, he's an up and down player. And what about this defense? They're a little bit old and slow. Nah, uh-uh. He got those guys playing and played very well over 100 points this season. Best team in the Pacific during the regular season. He, he showed that he still knows how to pull the right strings. Hey, I'll be honest with you. Had it not been for perhaps a fallback a little bit in the goaltending with Markstrom, it might be the Calgary Flames against the Colorado Avalanche here. Absolutely. Edmonton Oilers are Markstrom's kryptonite. He was Superman before against everybody else, but against the Oilers, he couldn't get it done. You're absolutely right. I'm I'm happy for Daryl and, you know, you and I uh, love him and and we've been around him a while. He's always enjoyable to be be around. I'm very happy for him. 
Our congratulations to Daryl Sutter. And now it's time for Perspectives from the Past. Thought I'd go back to 1994 to Game 3 of the series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Round 2 for the Sharks and a first happened in San Jose history. Sharks getting the draw. They skated out to center. Donnan down the right side, two on one with Ellick. Cross the line. Donnan walking in, goes for the hat trick. Shoot, score! Hats are flying on the ice as Ulf Donnan scores the first playoff hat trick in Sharks history. His sixth goal of the playoffs. It's 5-2 to two, San Jose. That game was special, Drew, because it was mm-hmm. the first home game that the Sharks had after beating Detroit. They had to go directly to Toronto, play the two games. And yeah. you could hear it, the reaction of the crowd. It was like that from the moment the warm-up started. And what an atmosphere, what a memory, and what a game for Ulf Dahlin. He was a game-changer for us. He changed our team. He's... he's one of my favorite players ever to be around. He was so good for us. And in the playoffs, he was a monster. Tough to beat. But that crowd, man, I still get chills when I think about that, that year. And especially that series against uh, the, the, the Maple Leafs because it just got louder and louder every game. There's so many great memories and so much fun. And honestly, Danny, love every one of those guys. They gave us so much that year. In, in the, they, you know, we started out 0-8-1, right? Then they just kept pushing and pushing. And once that ball got to the that boulder, got to the top of the mountain, they were, they were damn good. It was pretty much, you just, all you had to do is open the door and let them go. Cause they were that good of a team and they were that together. And actually in that series against Toronto, it was owner George Gund who was opening the door and letting them go. Cause he was sitting right there next to the bench with his cell phone on hooked up to our radio broadcast. That's just yeah. the way it was back in those days. Well, Drew, we've come to an end of another outstanding episode of our Stanley cup playoff report. Great games coming up ahead. I, I think that this is a, a wonderful time if you're a hockey fan. Even if you're not in the playoffs, as you are for the San Jose Sharks, there's some amazing action going on. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got elite players playing at, at top speed. It's so entertaining to watch. The games have been great. Uh, we'll keep watching. We'll keep talking about it. We will have another episode coming up. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to the Stanley Cup Playoff Report. This has been a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.